And so I've, I've said this many times, but I just want to say it one more time. Uh, please come to me if you have any questions or hesitations um, about anything. So on your handout, quote number one, so if you're already baptized and you're just coming into the church, uh, you will say this, these words at the Easter Vigil. I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church believes, teaches, and proclaims to be revealed by God. And if you're being baptized, it's kind of implicit that, that you believe that. So I want everyone to be able to say that like in good conscience. We don't want any, any like crossed fingers, you know, like behind our backs or anything. So um, that's just an open invitation. Please come talk to me. If you have any questions, anything, please don't don't keep that to yourself. Uh, I've said that many times, but it's just people have things they wrestle with sometimes, and it's better to just get it out there and talk to somebody. All right, guys, look, tonight we're talking about the Eucharist. So here's the outline of everything that we're doing tonight. Um, so I think we're just going to jump right in. Uh, a document that I forget once said this, uh, the Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life. So when I think the source, I think of the... Um, Marriage prep? Hey guys. Okay, so the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. All right? When I, when I hear source, I think a river. Okay? So the source of the river is like where the, river, where the water comes from. Okay? And the summit, I think of like a mountain, like the top of a mountain. You know? So the Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life. So it's a bit absurd that we're waiting until four weeks, until 26 days, till to talk about the Eucharist, but I do things poorly sometimes. This is an example of one of those things. But if this is where it's at. The Eucharist is the source of your Christian life where you'll receive that grace to be true to the Lord. And the Eucharist is the summit, like receiving the Eucharist. Like this side of heaven, that's the best it gets. And I hope you'll see why by the time we're done tonight. So, all right. The first thing we'll talk about is the quote unquote real presence. Maybe you've heard people talk about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And so let's just see uh, how that is uh, a teaching of Scripture and a teaching of the early Christians. Like, let, let's see how what we believe is, is, is also what scripture teaches and what the first Christians um, believed. That's, yeah, good. Let's just do that right now. So let's look at our first, our second quote on your handout there. It's a big old quote from John chapter six. And the, um, the verse numbers are there in the text. So um, context, this is John six. So Jesus, this is long before uh, the, the Last Supper and the Passion and Death of the Lord. That's like John 13 and following. So Jesus is still walking around preaching, and, um, and here's what he says. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He, uh, let's skip down to 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Uh, let's skip down to 66. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? So, I don't know. I think any honest and unbiased uh, reading of these verses from scripture uh, leads one to say that Jesus is giving a teaching on the Eucharist in which we are to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. Uh, he emphasizes this time and time again 
which indicates he's not uh, speaking in a metaphor, or he's not speaking in a symbol. Time and time again, he's saying we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And to Jesus, it's, it's so very important that we believe this literally, that he's, even, that he's even willing to let some of his disciples go away over this teaching, right? Look at the very end. Because of Jesus' teaching on the Eucharist, some of his disciples left. And Jesus mysteriously lets them go, right? For Jesus, it's so important for us to, to believe this truth, literally, in all of its meaning, and all of its uh, vigor, that it's kind of a make or break kind of issue, it seems to me. So Jesus teaches us very uh, powerfully. We need to eat his flesh, or rather, we get to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Let's keep going. The next quote, number three, is from uh, St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, so if you have been to Mass, uh, these words will hopefully sound a little familiar. These words, of course, are at the heart of the Mass, the words that the priest speaks to consecrate the Eucharist. For me, that's, that's such a powerful reminder that the Eucharist isn't just something that we made up or that we came up with, but rather Jesus gave it to us. In John 6, he taught us about it. The Last Supper, which we're not even quoting tonight, you know, in the Synoptic Gospels, you have the, the Last Supper, which is Catholics, we believe, was the first Mass, that Holy Thursday night, that first Holy Thursday. This is something that Jesus gave to us. He gave us certain words that should be used, the, the words we just heard. He gave us the matter that should be used, bread and wine. These are things that we're not free to change, but rather these are things that we inherit from the Lord, things that we keep doing the way that he prescribed out of obedience to him. Pause there. Any thoughts about that? Are any questions about scripture, real presence in scripture? Again, we'll, we could talk about this for days, but you know, we'll, we have 38 minutes. All right, guys, let's keep going. Okay, so that's the real presence in uh, scripture. Now let's look at it in tradition. And there's many uh, sources we could look at. We've mentioned um, St. Ignatius of Antioch before in our class a few times. He's a marvelous witness to Jesus being in the Eucharist. Uh, we'll look at a different one tonight. His name is uh, St. Justin Martyr. St. Justin Martyr died in the year 165, give or take. He died a martyr, as you might imagine. And he was uh, a very well-educated philosopher. And he you know, uh, disputed, debated with some of the other uh, pagan thinkers of his day. Um, so here's what he says about the Eucharist. He, he, he's a marvelous witness to what the early Mass was like, which is a whole fascinating topic we won't even get into tonight. But, okay, let's hear from Justin Martyr, quote number five. This food we call the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake except one who believes that the things we teach are true and has received the washing for forgiveness for sins and for rebirth and who lives as Christ handed down to us. For we do not receive these things as common bread or common drink, but as Jesus Christ, our Savior, being incarnate by God's word, took flesh and blood for our salvation. So also we have been taught that the food consecrated by the word of prayer which comes from him from which our flesh and blood are nourished by transformation, is the flesh and blood of that incarnate Jesus. So a few things that I take away from this. Um, the first sentence, um, you know, it, in our own day, there are many Christians who have 
kind of, uh, of open communion where everyone is kind of, you know, uh, welcome to come to receive communion. And we as Catholics don't do that. You know, so we as Catholics believe that uh, only someone who you know, is Catholic, has the Catholic faith, and is free of mortal sin is, is welcome to receive communion. And we get a bad rap for that sometimes. But you know, right here we have a witness, the year 165, that actually for the early Christians there was a sense, well, not just anyone can, can come to receive the Eucharist, right? What is he, he, I count three little conditions that he gives. Um, this food we call the Eucharist. Um, no one can come except who those who believe the things we teach are true. Okay, that they share the, the Christian faith. They, they share the, the faith of the church. Uh, who has received the washing for forgiveness of sins. What's that? Baptism. Uh, and who lives as Christ handed down to us. Okay, so who, who follows the moral teachings of our faith. So that's a bit of an aside, but also an interesting thing about this quote, I think. Um, anyway, but as far as our purposes right now, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, uh, kind of the very end there is where we see it, right? The Eucharist is the flesh and blood of that incarnate Jesus. So this is just one example of, and we could cite others, we don't have time, uh, of the early Christians just, you know, taking Jesus at his simple word when he talks about the Eucharist. Um, it's the, it's the body and the blood of the Lord. It's the living flesh and blood of Jesus. Okay, so next we'll talk about what we mean exactly when we say Jesus is in the Eucharist. But just to, just moving away from section one, are there any questions or any, any thoughts about any of that? Again, the, these are huge talks, yes sir? Um, I have a question, um, I had an incident uh, with my grandma Like in a loving way, explain to her that she, you know, couldn't receive, and you know, I basically got like attacked from, well, kind of from her and from my mother too. So I was like, well, is there any kind of like, sensitive way, even more sensitive way that you can kind of say? Yeah, people. Um, I mean, look, if, if if someone receives the Eucharist, it's a way of saying, uh, I share. I mean, it's it's called communion because receiving the Eucharist is a sign that you are in communion with the Catholic Church. And that involves, as we just heard, like believing what Catholics believe, like being Catholic, uh, living as a Catholic. So if you receive the Eucharist, you're, you're saying that you're Catholic, basically. So it would kind of be a lie, you know, for someone not, who's not Catholic to receive the Eucharist. So that's not a nice way to say it, <laughs> but that's the truth. So, uh, you know your grandma, so I'll leave that to, no. But yeah, so it, it's, a, I think a nice way to say it is, look, you know, for us receiving the Eucharist, it's a sign of um, sharing the Catholic faith. You know, I think it's kind of a nice, kind of succinct way to put it. Yeah, Cindy. You may want to do this later instead. Totally up to you, but I need to get to ask. Um, notice that in a lot of the more traditional Catholic churches, they do not Excellent. Let's talk about that. I think in this next section, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I'll put a little check mark and I'll put a C next to it. <laughs> All right, anything else? Okay, guys, let's keep going here. All right, guys, sometimes in life we have to learn big words. And this is one of those times. Okay. So let's all just kind of walk it out, you know? Just, let's just, just, just drink a little coffee. All right, all right, here we go. You ready? Miguel, you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Quote number six is, is the word. What is it, Miguel? Let's all say transubstantiation. transubstantiation. All right, transubstantiation. It's it's kind of um. Usually, I, I try to I try to avoid being too too technical, but this is one case where 
uh, a technical term has entered into common Catholic lingo. And so I think it's worth spending the next 11 minutes unpacking it. Uh, no, eight minutes, not 11 minutes. Transubstantiation. All right, guys. All right. Guys, look. So this is a word, uh, I don't think it actually occurs in the corpus of St. Thomas Aquinas, interestingly. I think it comes up, I mean, he, the, yeah, it doesn't matter. Transubstantiation is a common term that, and kind of a, you know, medieval, fairly ancient term that theologians have used to discuss how Jesus is present in the Eucharist. Uh, the word transubstantiation does not occur in scripture, I hope you obviously, but this is one of many examples where a truth of scripture that we just heard has been taken and people have chewed on it, no pun intended, and over the centuries, and it's like, okay, how can we express this truth of scripture? Well, here's one example. So Jesus is present in the Eucharist by transubstantiation. So um, let, let me use it in a sentence. At mass, transubstantiation happens when the priest speaks the words of consecration, okay? All right, so what in the world does this mean and why is this worth our time? This word, this concept is very helpful for understanding what we mean as Catholics when we say that Jesus is present in the Eucharist, okay? Let's get a little bit of philosophy here. Okay, so for Aristotelian philosophy, uh, everything has a substance, and uh, instead of accidents, let's just say property. Uh, we'll say accidents. Nah, it's complicated, we'll say property. Okay, so for example, this podium, has a substance and also properties. The substance is what it is. It is a podium. Its properties are that it is black, it's about three and a half feet tall, it weighs that much, and it's made of cheap wood. Okay? Uh, this marker, the substance of this marker is that it is a marker. Uh, its properties are that it's, you know, five inches long, filled with ink, and, you know, made of plastic. Okay? Let's do some examples. Miguel, my man. How about how about this flag? What are some properties of this flag? What's what is its substance? Excellent. Okay. Good. All right. Oh yeah, Jackson. Our two elect here. So, what are some properties of this? Yeah. What is the substance of this? It is a cup. Okay, I feel like we're ready for phase two of this explanation. Okay. The Eucharist. You take bread and you take wine, and at the words of consecration, like the words that we heard in 1 Corinthians, the bread and wine becomes the body and blood of Jesus. So what it is changes. Bread and wine becomes the body and blood of the Lord. So the substance changes, but the accident, the, the, the properties of bread and wine remain. Okay? So after the consecration, do you guys know that term, the consecration? That's the word spoken by the priest that transformed the bread and wine, the body and blood of, of the Lord. Uh, after the consecration, the properties of bread and wine remain, you see? So uh, as you will discover in 26 days, uh, the Eucharist tastes like bread and wine. It smells like bread and wine. Uh, you get the idea. But the substance has changed. It, it is no longer bread and wine. It is the body and blood of the Lord. So if you look at the Eucharist, you say, what is this? Just like that's a flag, that's a cup, 
the, the, the Eucharist is the body and blood of the Lord. However, the, the properties, or the accidents would be the more correct term, of bread and wine remain. So Jesus is truly present? Yes. He is substantially present? Yes. In a sacramental mode. So this can get very technical, as you might imagine. But I, I feel like I've given you at least the basics of like an understanding of, 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 of what we mean. So Jesus is still literally present in the Eucharist? Yes. He's still substantially present. Like, that's a flag. This is me. The Eucharist is Jesus. Literally. <clears throat> yeah. I feel like that's enough. Any questions or any thoughts about that? We'll, we'll get to your question. Any any thoughts about that initially? So was this, um, did you say this was Aquinas became a Well, I don't think you'll find that term verbatim in, 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 the, in the works of Thomas. That term first appeared, uh, I, probably like 14th century or something like that. But but it's the term came a bit later, but the concept was I mean, it's certainly President, Tom, President Thomas. Um, as far as the first person to use it, Harvesting got in the 14th century. Was there a heritage from start that it, the term was developed to contradict? Good. So as, as, as Cindy is Intuiting uh, the truth of the Eucharist was developed in response to various heresies. So, for example, we, we the Church taught clearly that Jesus is true God in response to the uh, Arian heresy, you might recall. Um, so, the Eucharist. Uh, I didn't brush up on this. In like the like like the eighth or tenth centuries, there are these two heretics, or, or these two guys who taught things that weren't true at least. Baron uh, Garius was one guy, the other was, uh, what was that guy's name? I forget. The point is, um, one of them taught that basically, yeah, Jesus was not literally substantially present in the Eucharist, and the other taught a kind of, um, was like, you know, when you receive the Eucharist, you're like chewing on the bones of Jesus and kind of, you know. Um, so, as always, we have two extremes. So what's the truth in the middle? Um, against a kind of symbolic understanding, just, you know, we have to say the Eucharist is not just a symbol. He is truly present. Jesus, just as I am substantially present here, I am he, the Eucharist is Jesus. Jesus is living and alive. Whoops. <laughs> Jesus is present Kind of little Catholic lingo here, you hear body, blood, soul, and divinity. Okay, so the Eucharist is not a symbol. Uh, the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity. The living Jesus is present in the Eucharist. People look at the Eucharist and speak to Jesus. We, we come into a Catholic church and we do a gesture of worship, of adoration, the genuflection. We worship the Eucharist because the Eucharist is the Son of God. Okay? However, against the other guy, we want to say, yes, but he's present like in a sacramental mode, you know? You're not like, um, this gets dicey. Basically, yeah. It's, he's, he's present, yes, in a, sac in a sacramental mode. So like under the accidents, the properties of the bread and wine. He's truly present, yes, but under the under the the, 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 the properties of um, bread and wine. Yeah, Baron Garius was the other guy. Um, and your other question? So, um, so Jesus, Jesus is a. Uh, all right, let's, let's do some math here. So here's a host, okay? A host is one, like, Eucharist, like, like one piece of the one thing. Uh, and then there's the chalice, okay? So let's do some math, okay? How much of Jesus is present in, in the host? 
How much? All right, 100%. How much of Jesus is present in the chalice? In, in the blood of Christ. 100%. All right, I like it. So, like, for example, if someone has a very serious uh, celiac disease uh, and they can't even receive a low gluten host, they can receive just from the chalice. And they've received 100% of Jesus. Okay? Um, so it's not like you receive only half of the Lord if you receive only the host or only the chalice. Um, for a valid mass, at, at the bare minimum, the priest needs to receive un, receive under both the fancy word species. Okay. So at the bare minimum, the priest himself has to receive under both species. Um, many places have the chalice for everyone as well, which you know is, is a great thing, and it's 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 uh, it's, it's a kind of it's a kind of uh, fullness. Not in the sense that you're missing out if you don't receive from the chalice, but a kind of, yeah, it's, it, it's a nice thing. Um, why don't we do it here? Uh, I think we struggled to find enough people to help give communion, honestly. And just, um, yeah, it would, yeah, that's kind of part of it. Excellent. Blood. Talking about that here. The mass is a sacrifice. You're doing great. Anything else so we're talking about, Aaron? Uh, do you have any interest in, I guess, maybe talking about the theme, for lack of a better word, of like family holy things? And how that yeah. relates to the different like, substance and properties of the Eucharist? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. um. Yeah, so we can discuss why it's fitting that Jesus gave us the Eucharist under the appearance of bread and wine. Um, yeah, it, it helps us to respect the Lord. You know, it's a kind of, um, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's kind of our status of, of like wayfarers. You know, we're in life, it's only in heaven that we'll see Jesus, that, that we'll, we'll see the divine essence. You know, like it's only in heaven that we'll see the divine essence, whereas here on earth we're, we're kind of pilgrims. So that is um, that's something that we, that we look forward to. You know, that you see the divine essence face to face. That's only in heaven. Okay, let's keep this party going. How are we doing, guys? Come on, I feel like we're we're good. We should like pause and, and play that song. Um, we play that like uh, like after every section. No, we're good, guys. How is it? Seven ten. We're doing good. Doing great on time. Doing great on time. Doing great. I feel like I get anxious about the time every like 90 seconds. What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? Okay. Bring it in. The Mass is a sacrifice. We don't think about this. We're, we're not so good these days about thinking about what it means that the Mass is a, is a sacrifice. Um, we, could, we could discuss historically why um, some of the, you know, well, the Protestant reformers weren't so hot about the mass being a sacrifice, you know, so um, I think they wanted to accent more of the mass as like a meal, which is true. Um, but, but also, it's really important to, to remember what, what we believe as Catholics about the mass being a sacrifice. Maybe you've heard people call it the, the holy sacrifice of the mass, but the holy sacrifice of the mass. And that's something distinctive that we believe as Catholics about the Mass, and it's important. So let's just unpack that. So, well, why did, let's, let's, let's use our brain powers. Um, what, why do you think uh, the Protestant reformers got a bit nervous about us calling the Mass a sacrifice? What, what, what might their objection be? Sounds like you're killing Yep, it sounds like you're killing Christ. It sounds like you're doing another sacrifice. So think like, so they might say, well, read the letter to the Hebrews, which a huge thing in the letter to the Hebrews 
is uh, unlike the Jewish sacrifices, which priests did every day all the time, Jesus has offered the one sacrifice. I think in chapter like five-ish. Anyway, Hebrews, there's only one sacrifice. We don't need all the old multiplied sacrifices of the Jewish priests. That's all abolished because Jesus offered the one sacrifice of his flesh once and for all. So you can imagine the reformers saying, well, Jesus already did this. He already offered the sacrifice of himself. So what's the deal with these Catholics doing this holy sacrifice of the Mass every day if Jesus already did this one sacrifice? Pretty good objection, right? Are you going, uh, Cindy, are you going to get, get the door? Could I ask maybe for a dominant so that way we, we can keep you plugged in here? All right. So a... Um, a, um, a person we weren't expect so a person that we weren't expecting uh, came into our building a few weeks back uh, which was a, a very special gift and so um, so we have to lock our door now we can't just leave it open all night so um, good it's almost Easter though so it's gonna work out next guy's problem whatever next year all right um, so let's clarify what we mean when we say the mass is a sacrifice and why it's just really awesome and just really is such a richer concept of Mass than just, than only the time to receive communion, as awesome as that itself is. Uh, let's just read this quote here, okay? Uh, there's this priest named Father Thomas Joseph White. He's a Dominican and a friend of mine. Uh, I knew him in Washington, D.C., and he wrote this wonderful book, The Bibliographic Information. It's in that citation there. That's a lot of big words. And um, here's, here's what he says about the Mass as a sacrifice. So I'm, I'm just going to read this. The Mass is a true sacrifice because in the celebration of the Mass, during the double consecration of Christ's body and blood, the Church offers the merits of the unique sacrifice of Christ to the Father, and the grace of the cross is poured out upon the Church. We should not think that the Eucharist is called a sacrifice because it constitutes any addition to the one saving sacrifice of Christ. On the contrary, the Mass just is the one saving sacrifice of the cross, rendered present to Christ's faithful. Let's just pause and why don't you all just look at that silently for a minute, just to hit you with some pretty, some pretty heavy stuff there. Let's just take a minute of silence, read over that again. That last sentence especially is important. Okay. So, so think again of the objection that I recounted for you. Why is the mass a sacrifice? There was only one sacrifice of Jesus. So, what's the deal with all these with you doing these sacrifices? What might we answer to that objection based on what we just read? I can help you along. It's kind of a tough question. Right, so I like it. Let's challenge our, 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 our six folks to see if we can get our noggins churning. Right? So if I'm saying, well, look, you're doing the Mass, there's only one sacrifice. Why are you doing these other sacrifices? What, what might a response to that be based on what we just read? Excellent. So, how many sacrifices of Jesus are there? How many? One. Good. There is one sacrifice of Jesus. Okay. And it was the cross. Boom! <laughs> how did my life become this? Okay. We're good. Okay. There was only one sacrifice of Jesus. And when did it happen? What? 
let's say about 2,000, I'll say bananas, 2,000 years ago. Okay, good. So there was one sacrifice of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And so every Mass, it's not like we're sacrificing Jesus again. It's the same sacrifice of Jesus. So, like, Jesus loves us so much that he wants to make it possible for us to be as present at his death just as the beloved disciple and the blessed mother were 2,000 years ago. I mean, think about that. This, so it's kind of a unique historical event. Like, it, it happened, yes, but it kind of, it, it's not that it keeps happening. It's like that event becomes present again at every Mass. It's not, it's not happening again that's not quite right. It's not another sacrifice of Jesus. We, just, we certainly don't want to say it's another sacrifice. It's the same sacrifice of Christ made present again. Not just symbolically, but really. Jesus wants it to be possible for us to be as present at the Last Supper and at, and at his sacrifice just as much as his apostles were 2,000 years ago. So every time you go to Mass, you see, this is so important because we can slip into thinking of Mass as just like you hear a homily and then you get to receive communion. And those are awesome things. Well, receiving communion is an awesome thing. Okay. So I don't mean to downplay that. I mean, that, that, this is a marvelous thing to receive the body and blood of the Lord. But we're, we're missing out if we forget that the Mass is also a sacrifice. Because then we forget what's so awesome about Because otherwise we're like twiddling our thumbs until, oh, time for communion. But, but like, that's what's so awesome about like when the priest is saying the Eucharistic prayer and the words of consecration. Okay. And, um, in, the, in the Dominican Rite, which is uh, a special way that Dominicans are allowed to celebrate the Mass, after the priest speaks the words of consecration, he no longer does this. He has his arms out in the form of a cross to remind the people like what's happening. Like you're you're at Calvary, you're at Golgotha. So yeah, it gives me goosebumps just as a priest to think about like what what that means. You know, what I get to do <laughs> every day. Sometimes two or three times a day. Yes. Father, when I was growing up back in the dark ages, they taught us that the crucifixion was the bloody sacrifice, and the sacrifice of the mass was the unbloody sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. So there's different ways to. So earlier I was talking about Jesus being present in a um, in a sacramental mode. That's another way to express the same truth, like like uh, uh, an unbloody representation of the bloody sacrifice of Christ. You know. I mean, the, the blood of Christ is still there, but it's unbloody in the sense of he's present under a sacramental mode. We're good. Um, and so uh, the, there's little reminders in the Mass to remind us that the Mass is a sacrifice. So, for example, Cindy, you said earlier, uh, well, we, well, we saw in 1 Corinthians that Jesus himself gave us the Eucharist in a kind of peculiar way, that his body would be consecrated first and then his blood. But we saw that's how Jesus himself gave it to us, according to, yeah, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians. So why would Jesus do this? Well, uh, if you separate a person's body and blood, what, what happens to them? They dead. Okay? So if you separate the body and blood of a person, they are dead. Um, and so that's kind of a reminder to us that Jesus is being, like, hang on. Watch myself. That's, that's a reminder to us that Jesus is present, yes, but as a sacrifice. His body and blood, now he's fully present under both species, yes, but like symbolically, that separated separation of the body and blood is a reminder that he is present as sacrificed. And then, right before. Um, so when the when the when you uh, when the priest says the Lamb of God, 
the priest, you've got to watch closely, the priest breaks the host and he puts a piece in the chalice. Um, yeah, he puts a piece of the host in the chalice as if uh, to remind us that he's also living in the Eucharist, like reuniting his body and blood. Again, that's at the level of like symbol, kind of, because he's he's totally present under both species. But but um, but yeah, that's a little reminder that he's also living in the Eucharist. And then we then communion begins almost immediately after that. After that, the host, the little piece, it's, it's just a little piece. You put it in the chalice. Let's keep going. Are there any any questions? I mean. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Can, can we wait? Maybe. Okay. Maybe our our, our our four folks. Any questions? It's just time, you know. It's just just gotta keep going here. Okay. Nice. Number four. I did not put number four on the board. <laughs> you thought you were done. Uh. Spirituality of the Eucharist. We're not going to talk about this in a long time. We have a retreat. Woohoo! Sign up. Uh, my brain is dead halfway through writing that, or seven eighths of the way writing that. Okay, spirituality of the Eucharist. Um, I was communicate just a, a few things here. Um, okay, people talk about the fruits of the Eucharist. Why? Because vegetables are gross. Fruits of the... Come on, guys. I know it's been like, like, like eight months, but come on, guys. Come on, guys. Okay, so the fruits of the Eucharist. Uh, the Catechism has a wonderful little section on the fruits of the Eucharist. So you can read that um, for more in depth. But um, this is just a reminder. Remember, sacraments do something. So what does the Eucharist do? Well, that's what the fruits of the Eucharist is, are, is, are, are, is. Okay, number one. It, oh man, I gotta write all this. I mean, yes, I get to write all this. It increases your union with Christ. Okay, so if you have a friend and you want to increase your union with them, you like call them up and you like eat chicken wings and you watch football and you like paint their toenails or whatever people do. Okay, well with Jesus, how do you increase your union with Jesus? Let me hear it. You receive the Eucharist. That's right. Okay, because the first. Okay, because you know we have to wait till heaven to like see the divine essence face to face. Uh, that's your facial expression for all eternity. You're like, okay. Uh, well, this side of the grave, to increase your union with Christ, what do you do? You take the Eucharist. All right, I like it. Number one. Number two. The Eucharist forgives, keyword, venial sin. Okay? Uh, as we'll discuss, if you have mortal sin, you must go to confession before you receive the Eucharist again. However, the Eucharist forgives venial sin. Right? The Eucharist, it's like, uh, how can we say that? Like it, 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 it causes you to make an act of love by the help of God's grace that moves your heart away from sin and towards God. Okay? So, yeah. So the Eucharist forgives venial sin. Okay? Not mortal, that's what confession's for. But venial sin, Eucharist forgives that. Okay. Um, number three. Strengthens you for battle. Okay? So the Eucharist is like, does someone know what an MRE is? What's an MRE uh, Yeah, so soldiers in the military, when they're deployed and there's no like mess for them to get food, um, they have these little like pouches. You get like a ton of calories in this little pouch so you can go out and fight. 
The Eucharist is like your MRE, okay? It gives you strength to fight against sin, all right? So uh, Jesus gave the Eucharist under the form of bread and wine because bread and wine are very common forms of food. So he wants to like, re remind us, remember the sacraments, you pay attention to the matter that's used to teach you what happens, okay? Well, the Eucharist is present under bread and wine to show us that the Eucharist is food for your souls to do all these things and to give you strength for battle. Four, there's five, I'll just forget that that one. Four, four is, um, I, I, just, I just looked at it. I really just looked at it. Unity of the church, okay. Bread, a lot, of, a lot of grain comes together to make one bread. So too, the Eucharist brings many people together to make the one church. That's an ancient image for the Eucharist. Number five, uh, pledge of future glory. Okay, so like, FG, future glory. You heard it here first. Um, Jesus said, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So in a mysterious way, receiving the Eucharist, according to Jesus, is a pledge of future glory. Eat my flesh, you drink my blood, you have, et you have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 6, 54. And you can receive all these fruits of the Eucharist, how often? Every day. Yes, even twice a day. Um, you go to two masses. Yeah, and that's awesome. You can you can have this whenever you want. You, just, you can receive twice a day. Yeah, the second time if you're going to mass, you can receive twice. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Every time you receive the Eucharist, like worldly, you know. Uh, all this happens. Increased union with Jesus. Like your friendship will grow with Jesus every time you receive the Eucharist. Venial sins, forgiven. Boom. You get strength for battle. Spiritual battle, I mean. Not like other kinds of battle. Uh, builds the unity of the church. You get a pledge of future glory. Every time. Miguel's pumped. I'm pumped. You're pumped. Um, adoration. Talk about that later. Okay. We'll conclude by talking about like how to receive communion, like practically. Um, let's just pause there. Are there any questions? Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's what we're saying tonight, basically. That Jesus is present in the Eucharist, the teaching of scripture and tradition. Uh, you can understand how he's present by this concept of transubstantiation. Uh, the Mass is a sacrifice, which is awesome. Uh, spirituality of the Eucharist, fruits of the Eucharist, boom. Yeah. Eucharist. It's awesome. Cindy, yep. Once you come into the Catholic Church, yep. if you go and visit the Protestant service, should you take communion? No. Because... <coughs> sorry. <clears throat> no. Because... So, as we said, receiving the Eucharist is a sign of communion with Jesus, but also with, like, the people. Right before, the Eucharist builds the unity of the Church. So if you don't share the Methodist faith or the Episcopalian faith and you receive their Eucharist, you're kind of like, lying. you're kind of lying, yeah, by like your actions. Yeah, so, yeah, because receiving the Eucharist is a sign that you're like in, like in, in communion with them. So, so even if a certain church would welcome you to communion, yeah, I mean, I think Catholics are, are obliged to abstain from communion in other churches um, because they're they're Catholic, that's their faith. Even if they share the Christian faith with, with those people, of course, um, you know, they receive communion in one place, like the Catholic Church. We'll get to some practical things here in a minute, but just anything else? Eucharist, it's great. Awesome. Adoration. We'll talk about that later because we'll have that at our retreat. Okay, guys. So, um, Sandy, yes, ma'am. I have a question about the confession. So, if you want to finish this, you want to talk about it later or with everyone right now? Well, it could be helpful. Yes, um, please. I was just curious. We didn't talk about it. Um, well, 
for something to be a sin, you have to choose to do it. And the whole concept of age of reason is that that's the age when someone is capable of like responsible action. So if I'm like six months old and I like roll off the crib onto my dog and kill it, you know, I, I didn't like choose to do that, you know? Well, that, well, that's my first confession. You wait till right before First Communion, because then they've reached the age of reason. They, they, they should confess whatever they think is sinful. You know, um, you know, like seven years old is kind of a good old rule of thumb. But of course, for one child, it can be earlier. You know, for me, it'll be the age of thirty-seven. I think will be the age of reason for me. Um, so, short answer. I mean, if if I mean, for, for mortal sin, you have to know it's wrong, gravely wrong. It has to be gravely wrong. You have to know it's gravely wrong. You have to freely choose to do it. So if you, if you feel like you did that, then confess it. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, you can err on the side of saying stuff. It's okay. No, no. I will just listen. I'll say yes. Yes, my daughter. Yes. Okay. Uh, anything else? Let's get this party going. How to receive the Eucharist? Two things. Well, three things. First two. Not the fruits of the Eucharist. No. You, you guys like gas every time I erase something. It's just some erasing awesome things. Okay. To receive the Eucharist, you got to fast, and you got to uh, not mortal sin. <laughs> okay. Fast. Um, so. You're obliged to fast for one hour prior to receiving communion. Um, water and medicine do not break the fast, so that's fine. You can drink water, you can take medicine, whatever you want. That doesn't break the fast. But everything else, yeah, you want to fast for one hour before receiving communion. Why? Um, it's a reminder that something special is about to happen. If you're like, fries, fries, burger, burger, Eucharist, it's like, well, that was just like food. Well, okay, so something special is about to happen, you know? Like you put on special clothes to get married, well, you fast before you receive communion. That's a helpful way, my friend. Okay, good. Um, so you fast, mortal sin. So uh, if someone is conscious of mortal sin, uh, they must go to the sacrament of confession before they go to communion, okay? Uh, because uh, Jesus gave us a special sacrament for mortal sin, and that's not the Eucharist, that's confession. And also we need to be uh, worthily prepared in our soul for something so special. The Eucharist is a sacrament of the living, meaning a person is for, is for someone in, in a state of grace. 